Hello, and welcome to the Laverne Church of Christ podcast, and thank you for joining us. You can find us at 244 Old Nashville Highway, Laverne, Tennessee, 37086. We hope that any time you are in the area, you will stop by and join us for worship. Our Sunday morning worship is at 9 a.m., with Bible classes following. Our Sunday evening worship is at 6 p.m., and we also have a Bible study on Wednesday at 7 p.m. Um, tonight's scripture reading is going to be 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 6 to 13. And it says, We do, however, speak as message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for they had they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. However, it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by this spirit. The spirit searches all the things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thoughts expect, except their own spirit within them. In the same way, no one know the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What I have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in the words taught us by man, human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit, explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. Amen. Good evening. If you have your Bibles, you would do well to open to the second chapter of the book of 1 Corinthians. In your Bibles or your Bible apps, that's where our text will be drawn from today. And I think some of our kids might know the general idea of what we're talking about, because 1 Corinthians 2 is about what? Hey, you got put to the test at a different time period, right? All right, all right, good. Well, I know some of them know it. You're put on the spot looking at your parents like, am I supposed to answer out loud? Well, you just let them tell you the answer to that. Uh, but 1 Corinthians 2, our text as we continue our trek through the letters of Paul to the Corinthians, our text is verses 6 through 13. And uh, this begins a section of the letter that is wonderful. I just really love it a lot. And it's very important uh, that we understand this because of what it says about what we proclaim, what it is that we are proclaiming and, and where it came from and how we got it. And so we'll begin straight out just with the first section of this passage that I want us to focus on. Paul writes, yet among the mature we do impart wisdom. Now let me stop there. Uh, the, the word yet there. It, it, we ought to recognize that this is now connecting us with the text that has preceded this section. Because Paul has just finished talking about how, uh, you know, the, there's the Greeks, they seek after wisdom. In other words, the, the folks of Paul's day, yeah, the Jews looked for signs, the Greeks sought wisdom. And, and Paul said, I, whenever I go anywhere preaching, I'm paraphrasing, of course, I don't tailor the gospel to what people in the world are expecting. That's not what I do. I don't preach it in the way that worldly Greeks want to hear it preached. I'm not trying to impress them. 
I'm not trying to conform to their standards. I'm not trying to make things appeal to them. You know, I'm not trying to so much be relevant to them. There's a word today that is often used. Certainly we won't preach the word as relevant to people's lives and talk about things that people today are definitely concerned about and struggling with and that we need to make sure that our preaching and teaching uh, includes that sort of thing. But what we're certainly not to do is to conform the gospel, anything about the gospel, the way we preach the gospel, the way we package it in ourselves, the way that we live our lives, we are not called to do that in a way that pleases the world. Because if we're doing it in a way that pleases the world, we have departed from pleasing Christ. The world is not pleased with Christ. Do we understand that? The world is not pleased with Christ. And so if we are presenting ourselves and our message in a way that appeals to the world, we have departed from the way of Christ. And this is what Paul has in mind. But he doesn't want us to misunderstand. It's not that as Christians we have a problem with wisdom. It would be incredibly foolish to have a problem with wisdom, right? If we thought wisdom was a bad thing and we didn't want anything to do with wisdom, well, then we would be a bunch of fools. And Paul is making it clear in this context that is not what he's saying. When, when he is talking about how he rejected the, the, the world of, of the unbelieving Greeks and Romans of his time and others that he would, he would include under the label of Greeks, when he's talking about rejecting the way that they approach the spreading and the share of knowledge, he's not saying that that ultimately the desire to have wisdom is wrong. He's saying that the way the Greeks were going about it outside of Christ was wrong. And so with that in mind, we begin our text again. Yet among the mature, among those who are grown up in the faith a little bit, Paul says, among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age who are doomed to pass away. But we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God which God decreed before the ages for our glory. None of the rulers of this age understood this, for if they had, they would, have not, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. Amen. Now, really this section, if you will think about what it implies, helps us to understand a little bit about what wisdom is. Now, I've talked about this from the pulpit before, and other teachers have here as well, about what wisdom is. But wisdom, we know wisdom is a kind of knowledge it's more than just knowing that 2 plus 2 equals 4, although I would say that that is a building block for wisdom. It's not just intellectual knowledge, but wisdom is practical knowledge. Wisdom is good sense, good judgment. It is the ability to make wise decisions. That is decisions that, that lead you down a pathway that does not end in failure, that does not end in death, that, that ends in success. That's what wisdom is. And so when Paul says that, that the people of this world the rulers of this world, the cultures of this world. When Paul says the wisdom that we proclaim as Christians doesn't come from that and that they don't have it, what he is in essence saying is that there is no wisdom in the world. Are you hearing that? Now, it doesn't mean that the worldly person never has a wise thought. Again, that's not what Paul is saying. He's not saying that the person in the world is incapable of putting, you know, rubbing their brain cells together enough where they can grant, you know, where they can come to the knowledge that this is right and that's wrong and this is true and that's false. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is that the mindset of the world, regardless of the culture, Western civilization, Eastern civilization, North and South, all the continents, all the nations, any kind of culture that is outside of Christ, that is not loyal to Christ, 
submissive and obedient to Christ, any world system of human culture that is outside of Christ ultimately itself is doomed. That's his point. If what you are is an American, if that's what you are, the beginning and end of you, I am an American, a good old citizen of the United States of America, and I seek the American dream in life, and I believe in liberty, I believe in all the Bill of Rights, I support all of those things, and I pay my taxes, and I'll serve my country, and I'm going to be a good neighbor, and that makes me a good person, and that's that. If that's who you are, if that's all you are, you're doomed. You're doomed because America cannot save you. Nothing wrong with being an American, happy to be one, proud to be one, and intend to continue to be a good citizen as long as I live. But that's not really what my life is about. That's not really where my loyalty is. And I'm loyal to the United States of America because this is where Jesus put me. If Jesus had put me in China, I'd be loyal to China. If that bothers you, I'm sorry, but it's true. Wherever it is that God places you, that's where you grow up and you try your best to be a good citizen. There is no country in the world that is inherently superior to any other. There are certainly systems of law that are superior. I believe that, that any approach toward life that gives the individual freedom and autonomy to live their life according to clean conscience is superior to communism. Of course I believe that. And I would hope any rational person would. Most most communists do, <laughs> for that matter. They just lack the power to change anything, okay? So not to say that one culture may not be superior to another. It's just to say that there's nothing in this world that can save your soul. And so whatever you may be able to accomplish by living according to some system of wisdom, some ethical system, some way of being human that comes from this world that's rooted only in this soil, whatever it is, wherever it comes from, if that is what you're living by, it can't be called wisdom because it doesn't end in success. If it doesn't end in, in success, that path is not wise. And this is what Paul is saying. Nobody... Nobody, not Greek, not Roman, not Jew, would have crucified Jesus if they actually understood who he was and what it was that he was doing. Nobody. But they did. And do you know who did? The world did. The world he came to save rejected him, spat upon him, mocked him, scourged him, and crucified him. And brothers and sisters, kind of the first application of this text to our world today is that the United States of America, given the opportunity, will do exactly the same thing. And so will China, and so will Britain, so will South Africa, so will Guatemala. You just, I'm not going to go through all the countries in the world, but I hope you get the point. I hope you get the point. The world doesn't follow Jesus because the world doesn't understand Jesus. And in the world's ignorance of Jesus, it thinks it's doing okay on its own without Jesus. And that's a pathway that ends in ruin. And that's the point that the Apostle Paul is bringing to us. Now, I do want to say one more thing before we get into this next slide. And that is that Paul does say among the mature, we impart wisdom, among the mature, and, and there's an implication here as well. 
And this goes back to our previous text where Paul had said, I determined to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Because when Paul came to the ancient city of Corinth and began preaching the gospel there, there were no mature disciples there, you see. There were no people that were wholly given over to Jesus. And, and I'll have to say that if you want to come up with a definition of Christian maturity, it, it is coming into the state in which you, in your mind, in your heart, have wholly, W-H-O-L-L-Y, entirely given yourself over to Jesus. It doesn't mean that you're perfect that you have overcome all of your weaknesses, that you never make bad decisions and never say foolish things. It doesn't mean that at all. It's not about your ability to perform for Jesus. That's not what maturity means. It's about where your heart is for Jesus. That's, that's where maturity is determined. Are you fully converted to Christ so that he is your Lord and your life, your whole life, you're living, making a good faith effort to actually literally serve him with all of you, with every aspect of you. That's maturity. And so when Paul came to Corinth, there weren't any mature believers yet. There were only folks that were, well, God knew those who were going to respond to the gospel, but they weren't there yet. So Paul didn't start talking about the wisdom of the Christian way of life. He just talked about the Jesus who is the foundation of Christian life. Jesus, 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 Jesus. Gospel, 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 gospel gospel until until there were folks who understood Jesus enough who grasped the gospel enough that they were willing to die for him and when there were folks in Corinth that were willing to die for Jesus in other words wholly given to him then he started talking about the meat of the word does that make sense as Christians today who are charged to teach and preach God's word the same as the apostle Paul was we need to remember that order of operations because I think sometimes we fail to really, uh, to, to really give new converts an environment in, in which they can just, just be with Jesus and be in Jesus and just get built up in, in, in the truth of the gospel itself before we start trying to tell them that you need to grow, you need to stretch, you need to reach, you need to understand these deeper truths. And you all know me, I like the deeper stuff. I like to get into the meat of the word, but I've got to make sure that I'm not trying to to, to make some young in the faith brother or sister begin to try to, to chew on things that they're not yet ready to chew on. And this is what Paul has in mind there. So he, he says, we do impart a wisdom. It is not of this age. It is not of the rulers of it. Uh, the word age is from the Greek word ion. And we get our word eon from that. And so what is an eon? It, it's, a, it's, a, it's a long period of time. But really the Greek word ion here, it can mean quite a number of things. You look up in, in a Greek dictionary the definition of the words, you'll get stuff like forever. You'll get an unbroken age. I've underlined that because that's really the meaning Paul intends in our text, which I'll say more about in a second. Uh, perpetuity, eternity. Uh, and so the word ion or ionion can be used in the Greek to refer to eternity. Forever and ever and ever. But, but the real basic meaning of an age is a, is a certain period of time that is characterized by certain things. And so we might say that, uh, that uh, the age of enlightenment, for instance, you'll often hear people talk about the age of enlightenment, which refers to when the, re when the um, uh, not the Reformation that came out of it, but uh, whatever in the 1500s started in Southern Europe. What? Thank you. I was hoping somebody would help me out. All right, so when the Renaissance began and when it really came into its own, 
probably really in the late 1600s, we begin what historians call the Age of Enlightenment. That lasted all the way into the 1900s, the era that is characterized by, by science, by pursuing knowledge according to the scientific method. All right, that's the age of enlightenment. And so all during that period of history, that's kind of the central thing, especially in Western civilization, that man is concerned about with observational facts, with things that can be proven, things that can be tested in the laboratory, with inventions and industry and all those sorts of things. And so that is an age, a period of time characterized by, by certain uh, you know, features that continue to be in common during that whole period of time. And so the Apostle Paul uh, says it's not of this age. And so he's talking about then the ancient Greco-Roman world, which, by the way, is the foundation of Western civilization. And so even in our time today, though we can break this history down into different periods or ages, it, it's, it's really the whole of what we might call biblically the last days. And, and so every culture, every age, every era that is during these last days, the last days of Israel, the establishment of the church, and all until the end of time, until Christ comes again, what Paul is saying is that the wisdom we share does not come from the culture around us. That's not where it comes from. And it's not of the rulers of it. Uh, the Greek word archon there. And, uh, and of course, the, the definition is pretty straightforward. Those who in the present age wield the greatest influence. So let's get relevant. Influencers. In, what's an influencer? Well, that's like the big cool career for people today. Uh, probably invented by maybe Gen X, but it's popularized by millennials. And of course, Gen Z now, I mean, uh, lots of uh, young people want to get on uh, YouTube or get on uh, Instagram or, or some social media account, and they want to make a living by being an influencer. And what that means is they want to become an expert or at least a tester of some aspect of life and make these videos about that. And they want people to watch their videos and to buy the things that they tell them they should buy, you know, to do the things that they should tell them to do to read the things that they tell them they should read, to think the ways that they tell them to think. That's what an influencer is, someone who's trying to wield an influence. The career of an influencer is someone who's hoping to have enough followers that advertising funds will pay them a check and they can make a living at it. All right, nothing wrong with being an influencer if you're using your influence for good. But, but to think about who is it in our culture today, we ought to be thinking about this. Who are the people in our culture today, in Western civilization, in the United States of America, in the greater Middle Tennessee area? Who are the people wielding the most powerful influence in our world, over our families, over our children? If you identify who those people are, then you know the people that actually don't have the wisdom that we impart. That, as blunt as that is, is exactly what Paul is saying. They fundamentally do not understand life. And as a result, no matter how popular or intelligent they are, their pathway is not the one that leads to ultimate success in life. And this is one of those messages that comes from the Word of God that the world doesn't like because it criticizes the world, but it is true. Paul says that, uh, that this wisdom that we impart was decreed by God for our glory before the ages began. I appreciate Kevin reading from his version. I, I don't know which one it was, maybe the NIV, but I like the way that that passage worded that. It said, before time began. That's not what the literal Greek says, but that is the meaning. 
When we talk about before the ages begin, we're talking about before there was time, before God created the world, before he said, let there be light. God already had in mind the wisdom he was going to impart to us that we were going to share with the lost and dying world. And so what we're doing is Christians, Christianity is only about 2,000 years old as far as its actual existence in this time-space continuum we call life in this universe. But the actual basis of it, the facts of it, the wisdom of it is eternal in nature. God has always known it. He's always known it. And so what we are following, brothers and sisters, is the most ancient truth of all. And Paul uses a word here, he calls it secret. It's a secret wisdom. Now, it was a secret wisdom. And any time we encounter the concept of these secrets or the mystery in Scripture, the New Testament tells us that these are the things that were formerly not known, things the prophets wanted to know, things even the angels longed to understand, but didn't understand it was decreed by God that the ultimate truth of what he was doing would not be revealed by anybody except members of the church of Christ. That's the absolute truth. It's the absolute truth. Before God said, let there be light, he, listen, he had us in mind. Us, literally us in mind as those to whom he would impart the eternal wisdom. that All of the ages of, the, of humans in every culture from the beginning of time long to understand the meaning of life. And there are so many people in our world today that are still struggling. What is the meaning of life? We know the answer to that, don't we? We know the answer to the most fundamental of human questions. I know the meaning of life. It's not a mystery to me. If someone says, well, what is the meaning of life? Well, it was hinted at in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, the end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. <laughs> and that sums it up. But, but what is the whole duty of man? We find that in the New Testament. What is it? To bow down to Jesus and serve Him and trust Him and obey Him and try to be like Him. That is the purpose and the meaning of life. Jesus is the meaning of life. Period. And nobody knew it until Jesus came. And so as simple as that is, the world thinks, well, that's just way too simple. This wisdom is of God. It, began, it, it was actually decreed before the ages, so it's actually not new. It's not even 2,000 years old. It's, it's way older than that. But I want you to think about this phrase, for our glory. What does that mean to you? You think about those words, that this religion that we have embraced, this Savior that we follow, teaches us this wisdom that he embodies that is ancient beyond all other thought processes, frames of mind, philosophies, etc. It says the end goal that God had in mind in imparting this wisdom is your success, my brother and my sister in Christ. You see where this connects with the whole of everything the Bible says about wisdom. Wisdom is knowing the right path to take that ends in success. This wisdom we impart among the mature is the embodiment. It is the pathway to success. Because what difference does it make if you become a trillionaire and have a beautiful family and everybody in the world loves you if you die, just like we're teaching our kids, what is the meaning of a successful life? What is an unsuccessful life? What's the point? Jesus said it this way, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? It's just a waste. And it is just failure. 
no matter what you achieve in this life. Jesus is the key. Ultimately, God desires to glorify us. What God wants for you, brother and sister in Christ, what God wants for you, you will experience on Judgment Day if you will keep the faith. What God wants you for you is for you to stand in the court of Christ in heavenly glory. What he wants for you is a seat at the table of Christ in the world to come. What God wants for you is for you to become perfect, the absolute perfect version of yourself, the one God has in mind for you. And if you will keep the faith in the resurrection, you will be made as perfect as Jesus is. What else could possibly be considered success when you lay it alongside that? Brothers and sisters, that's what the gospel is. And so we can say, as much as the world doesn't like it, wisdom is distinctly Christian. And there is no wisdom outside of Christianity, none. There are no wise men in the world who are not Christians. And there are zero wise women in the world who are not disciples of Jesus, period. Because no matter what they know, if they don't know Jesus, it ends in death and hell. And that is not success. And so continuing with our passage... Let's look now at, at verse 9. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. These things God has revealed to us through the Spirit. Now, I'm going to contend to you that this is a much misunderstood text. Not a heretically misunderstood text in my experience, but just I've heard it preached many, many sermons over the years. I've heard preachers preach on heaven. And they're talking about what we look forward to in the glories of heaven. And oftentimes they'll quote this passage. What, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what not, was never entered the heart of man, the things that God has prepared for those that love him. And they'll make the application and they'll say, oh man, one day when we, when we are raised from the dead and we're in heaven, it's just we're going to, man, it, we're just going to see glory and we're going to be experiencing pleasure and bliss and, and just have a wonderful existence that, that we could never have imagined. I don't think that's necessarily wrong, but that's not what this passage is about. It's not what this passage is about at all. This passage is about what our kids know 1 Corinthians 2 is about. What that little red card says 1 Corinthians 2 about is about is what 1 Corinthians 2 is about. So I, I, I endorse that red card, okay, for what it's worth. Our kids know what 1 Corinthians 2 is about. It's about the Word of God that we proclaim, and that's what this text is about too. He says that it's, uh, it's not about future heavenly bliss. Again, I'm not saying that thought is wrong. I'm just saying using this passage to say that is misusing the passage. Because Paul tells us in this context that God has revealed these things. What, what no eye saw, God has revealed. What no ear ever heard, God has revealed. What never entered to the heart or the imagination of man, God has revealed through the Spirit. That's what Paul is saying here. This wisdom that the those who would be wise have been seeking since the dawn of time. They were not able to come up with, and that's the point. You can study the rocks and trees and the birds and the bees and everything about this world that we call science in this life, and you can become very intelligent and very capable and very powerful as far as things are concerned in this life. But studying the rocks and the trees and the birds and the bees will not save your soul nor will you ever discover God's plan for the universe in so doing. 
You won't find it with your eyes. You won't hear it with your ears. It will never be something that you will imagine. Nobody in all of history, listen, you know this is true if you know your Bible, not even the chosen race, the Jews, understood what God was doing right up until the moment that he did it. That's Paul's point. The wisdom that we share is not something that we came up with in our genius. The wisdom that we share is not something that is inherent in the rocks. The wisdom that we share is supernatural. God has revealed to us what we would have been incapable of coming to know without his help. And in so doing, Paul is beginning to open the minds of the Christians who lived in the ancient city of Corinth to just how awesome a thing God was doing in their midst. And as we think today that Paul's work that he was doing as he was writing this letter, as it has reached its completion centuries and centuries ago, and now we have this Bible that our kids know has 66 books, 39 in the Old Testament and 27 in the New, we realize what this book actually is. We realize what it is. It is revelation from God that was given to us by the Holy Spirit according to the authority of Christ. And so Paul continues, for the Spirit, listen to this, just listen to these deep words. For the Spirit searches everything. The Holy Spirit searches everything. Listen, even the depths of God. The depths of God. There's nothing deeper. For who knows a person's thoughts? Paul illustrates. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person? Nobody knows my thoughts except for the Holy Spirit in me. That's Paul's point here. I mean, you might see the result of my thoughts, but you can't see me thinking them. You might see that I'm thinking. I might have a thinking look on my face. You know what a thinking look on your face is? <laughs> you, know, you can see somebody and tell sometimes that they're thinking. Sometimes you can tell that they're thinking in a good way, and sometimes it looks like they're thinking in a bad way. You can tell somebody's thinking, but you can't tell what they think unless they reveal it to you. And the same thing is true with God, and that's what the Holy Spirit has done. So nobody knows except that Spirit, which is so also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now what difference does that make to us? This is the difference it makes. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given to us by God. Amen. See, 1 Corinthians 2 is one of the most important passages in the Bible to help us understand the phenomenon of divine inspiration, to help us to understand what the Word of God really is, what a great miracle, and what an, an immeasurable, immeasurable treasure it is. Because what the Bible is, is the result of the Holy Spirit's search through the depths of the mind of God and of Jesus authorizing the Holy Spirit to bring those deep things that, that were thoughts that existed in the mind of God were only known to God that no human being could discover and, and to reveal those to us through the prophets and the apostles. And if you know the 66 books of the Bible, you know of Almighty God's mind. And that is power. Power beyond compare, and it's wisdom 
wisdom to succeed that surpasses anything else that exists. And that's why we say wisdom is distinctly Christian. If you want to be wise, be a Christian. If you won't be a Christian, you're a fool. You're a fool. Because there is no hope anywhere else. The Holy Spirit searches God's thoughts. And he gives us an understanding of God's thoughts with the right words. Finally, and we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. Don't like the way the ESV words this last phrase. It's not the best translation of the Greek. I'll explain that briefly. Interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. That's not really what Paul means. In fact, uh, uh, Kevin's version, again, did a better job with that. Communicating spiritual truths. And you look at that as the conclusion of what he's previously said. He's talked about these truths, these deep things of God, by human wisdom, but taught by the Spirit. And so Paul then, then concludes that section by saying what the Holy Spirit is doing, what he's teaching us to do, is to combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. And as such, it reveals to us the truths of God. And not with man's word. Paul didn't sit down and say, well, dear boy, God has given me some really awesome truths. Let's see, how am I going to use my own personal human genius to communicate these things? If, if that had been the way things would have worked, then, Paul, then it would have been filled with error. Now, Paul used his own words, he used his vocabulary, all, all of that is true. But God oversaw the process so that, that Paul was even taught by Jesus. Within the bounds of his own vocabulary and education experience, Jesus through the Holy Spirit taught Paul how to say the truth in the right way. And this is the foundation of what we call the plenary verbal inspiration of Scripture, meaning the whole verbal inspiration of Scripture, meaning the Bible in its original Hebrew and Greek is inspired by God down to the Word. The individual words were overseen and chosen by the Holy Spirit of God. So that nothing about the Bible from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22 is subject to human opinion or can be changed. It cannot be changed. Every single word is right. And therefore, as students of the word, the words of God, we would do well to pay attention to each individual, the, and an, and of, and so on. Because as accurately translated from the Hebrew and Greek, God chose those words. And they represent the only right way to communicate the truths that underlie them. So, we impart this. Paul said, this we impart. We impart what we have received, brothers and sisters. And we ought to impart no more and no less. That doesn't mean that we can't help to give the meaning as Ezra did, to interpret and to explain some of those things are essential but brothers and sisters who teach, let me urge you to be very careful, to be careful how far you go in sharing your opinions or elaborating on what the Word of God says. Ultimately, you need to be able to show book, chapter, and verse for everything that you say and contend from the pulpit or from the lectern, in the classroom or in the auditorium. However it is, you need to make sure that you can point to book, chapter, and verse and say, this is the basis of what I said. And in essence, what I said was exactly what this says. I don't have any wisdom to give you that comes from Josh Pappas, none. 
apart from what God has given me, I know nothing about how to succeed in life. Nothing. And you don't either. If I don't have a word from God, I have nothing to share. And nor do you. It doesn't matter to me how successful you are in business or how successful you are in relationships. It doesn't matter how successful you are in winning friends and fame in this life. I'm sure many of you could teach me some great things about that. But my question is, can you get out of the grave? That's my question. That's my question. And if you can't answer that question, then you really can't be the wise guide that can enable me to ultimately succeed. Paul says we have received the Holy Spirit himself. And so the church has, and so the believer has. And so the apostles and prophets in the first century had, and they received the Holy Spirit in a measure that inspired them to communicate in ways that we don't have the Holy Spirit, though we still have his presence in our lives. And we have received God's gifts, and these are the things that we share. When we share the truth of the gospel, we're sharing God's gift. When we share ourselves with others as servants, because of what we have learned and received from God, we are sharing God's gifts. So at the end of the day, when we do good, all we're doing is sharing what God gave to us. I shared in a previous, uh, God doesn't require that you come up with anything because you've got nothing to offer him. So everything that God calls for you to offer him, he first gives you so that all that you've ever given to God is just giving back a portion of what he first gave. You can't add anything to God. We share his gifts made, made known to us by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit enables us to understand God's gifts. And he does this primarily through the word and never without the word. Now, the Holy Spirit does not only work through the word. He also works in providence. And frankly, he can do whatever he wants to do in heaven and or earth. But he never, never guides or edifies or changes or trains in a way that is inconsistent with the 66 books of the Bible. His sword, his tool, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So you think that, that his providence is leading you some way? Search the Scriptures to see whether or not it's right. Because you don't have any wisdom in you that didn't come from the Holy Spirit of God. And if you think it's wise and you can't find it in this book... It's not. It's just not. Because you're not the authority. God is. And therefore, his word is. We combine spiritual thoughts with spiritual words when we communicate the inspired scriptures. And so, the bottom line is this, brothers and sisters. The only thing we've got to impart is God's inspired word. And that is the message of 1 Corinthians 2, just like that little red card says. And so the lesson is yours tonight. I hope that it has given you a, a greater appreciation of just exactly what God has done for us and in inspiring the word to guide us, to be a lamp to our feet and a light to our way. If you're subject to the invitation tonight, if you need the prayers of this church, you're ready to give Christ your life. The front pews are open. Come as we stand and sing. Thank you for listening to this message from God's word. If you have any questions, please email them to us at office at lavernecoc.org. Once again, we thank you for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.